Hello and welcome or welcome back to the Support Breakfast podcast, a fortnightly, well, kind of fortnightly because we agreed to do a topic a month and what happens when there's five weeks in the month? Have we decided on that? Did we think about it yet? Bonus episode. <laughs> okay. Um, a fortnightly podcast for support professionals. Uh, we're back with our second season um, and we're shaking things up, you might have noticed. Uh, we're still figuring all of this out, so... It might be a little rocky at first, and we really appreciate you coming along for the ride with us. I am Lisa. I am a customer success champion for Gecko Board, and I felt like I should have said, like, I'm so used to saying and what I had for breakfast was that the end of that <laughs> sentence didn't feel like the end of a sentence. It was waiting yes. for me to say something else. And there, was a, there was definitely a baited breath there. Yeah. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm a product educator at Timely. And I also felt like I just wanted to say what my breakfast was. <laughs> it's so ingrained. We've been doing this for, I feel like, almost nearly a year and a half now. Yeah, so saying my name and where I work and then breakfast is natural to me now. That's going to be awkward if I ever get into a situation where I need to, like, introduce myself and then I tell them what I had for breakfast. <laughs> it's totally inappropriate. But instead of uh, telling you what we had for breakfast, uh, we're going to recommend you a breakfast recipe. I'm kind of like a porridge all year round gal, especially in winter and autumn. But then when it gets into summer, I like crave me a smoothie bowl. And I know that there are people that are going to object to the concept of a smoothie in a bowl. But really a smoothie bowl is just like a smoothie and then a whole bunch of delicious stuff popped on top of the smoothie. And then you can enjoy it like a soup. There are people that say that it's a more mindful way to consume a smoothie. But anyway... <laughs> Oh, I just got a message to say my internet connection is unstable, which I, echoes my life right now. <laughs> I got the same message. I think both our connections went unstable at the same time. Yes, a lot, as long as we're equally unstable, it kind of almost balances it out, right? Yeah, like when you see someone and you think they have it all together and then you find out that actually they're a mess and you feel better about the fact that you're a mess. Yes, and then you feel immediately guilty for feeling pleasure from somebody else's pain. <laughs> yep. That's Yay a, for schadenfreude. <laughs> Alrighty. This month we're talking about worth and value, knowing your own worth, sharing what you're doing, continually striving for excellence, and championing the val championing championing the value of your team to the rest of your company. There we go. So if you haven't listened to the first part of this topic, uh, you probably should do that before listening to this. Just a bit of context. Uh, in that episode, we talk about ways to recognise if you are actually kind of in a cost centre mentality getting to know the numbers and support metrics that are important for measuring how you're performing and kind of understanding what makes your customers successful. So we're going to dive into a couple more topics today. Uh, the first one that I kind of wanted to touch on is I feel like support tends to be a little bit siloed uh, from the rest of the company. You're kind of on the front line and you're working with customers and you're feeling their pain points and you can feel a little ostracized from the rest of the company, especially if product and the marketing teams and the development teams, everything's super positive and maybe you're not feeling super positive or you're feeling like what you're doing isn't and the feedback that you're getting isn't being passed beyond kind of your, your team. There are a couple of ways to remove those barriers and to, there's this terrible term that we use at Timely, which is cross-pollinate. <laughs> So create more opportunities for kind of like cross-team functions. So Lisa, you, uh, you have here that you work quite closely with the product team in collecting feedback. Yeah, so we collect um, quite a lot of product feedback for the product team. Uh, we talk to them about what they're working on or what they're planning to look at next um, and then deliberately collate conversations to find customers who are interested in that specific thing, find out 
why they're interested in that specific thing, like what the reasoning behind it is, because maybe people say, I want more colors. Um, and there are three or four different reasons that they could be asking about that. And uh, we also try and share this. So one of the things that we do is talk about our, um, it's roughly monthly, um, but it, it's actually like when we get around to it, um, our most requested integrations, our most requested features um, in our Friday wins meeting, because our Friday wins meeting can be a lot of developers telling us like, yay, we've done this thing that's really exciting. And the marketing team go, yay, we've done this thing that's really exciting. And then the customer success team were like, oh, we don't have anything to shout about and show you and demo. Or, or there's five new bugs that we found this week. Woo, yay. <laughs> yay. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to have a collection of information that we can share and say like, look, this is what we're doing. That's awesome. So you spoke about having like a regular meeting through that. Is that a Friday Wednesday? Is that every week or is that a monthly one? Every Friday we have a short meeting. Um, mm -hmm. It was recently decided that no one should talk for longer than three minutes at the Friday wins meeting. And Ooh. essentially teams use it to show off what they've been working on. So we get things like uh, marketing share short videos that they've done. Um, our pie chart one is particularly great if you haven't <laughs> seen it. Um, the gecko board, like why pie charts are actually terrible and you shouldn't use them, but it uses this cute little pie chart. Um, yeah, I would recommend watching that because it's super fun. And the product team and the developers show us like designs that they've come up with, uh, new functionality that they've built in, and all sorts of things. So not everyone speaks every week. Um, essentially, you only speak up if you have something you want to share with the company. Although it's called Friday Wins, we've also had like Friday Woes. Like we tried this thing, it did not work. Here's mm. what we learned. Here's some interesting like customer feedback we had or um, a user test we did. And like, here's the highlight that's actually the low light, but just a way of sharing with the whole company. You say we as a collective, does, does the support team meet with the product team to chat about that feedback or do you have like a particular product liaison? We previously had a regular meeting that was with the, the product leads and QA around our bugs. And instead we've now got a meeting around um, what the product team are thinking of doing next and um, what information they need. Um, so on a regular basis, we kind of chat about that um, and also discuss the, those bugs instead of just being like, yes, we had five new bugs this week. You should look into those. At Timely, we've just switched to, I think I've touched on this in, in the last episode, that we've just switched from like the waterfall. I think waterfall is the, is the term for like the old school traditional development model where you just kind of like, working on big ass projects yep. yeah yeah you, you do a thing and then when that thing is done you do another thing and when that thing is done you do another thing and eventually at the end of it you have a product hopefully it's what people were after but you didn't ask them at any point so yeah well maybe we were somewhere somewhere in between waterfall and something slightly more structured with more project scoping and feedback from customers in there but we switched to an agile process which has been challenging and the dev teams are now really comfortable with Agile and we're seeing some great results from it, but the rest of the company isn't as Agile as those teams, which does cause a little bit of conflict and confusion, basically, because we're still kind of collecting feedback in the way that we would have previously needed it based on kind of like features instead of um, kind of problems that customers are having. And we touched on this a little bit in the, in the last episode about making sure you're kind of getting to the root of the customer's issue as opposed to just trying to build features based on what 
customers think or anticipate that they need to solve their solutions. Um, but on a, on a more positive note, <laughs> and another great way that we've kind of cross-pollinated at Timely, collect lots of feedback. We have um, obviously measure our NPS and we get comments through that. But any time that we have a really positive interaction with a customer or that someone gives us really great feedback, either in a Facebook uh, review or through the NPS comments or in a conversation, then we kind of paste that feedback into our Celebrate Good Times channel, kind of warm fuzzies channel, boosting morale. We kind of have more of a formal process with the marketing team. So anytime that feedback does come in, it's really great and it, and it creates like a, a perfect soundbite that would be perfect for like a testimonial or just like a some social proof uh, on the website. Uh, then we pass that on to them so that they can kind of incorporate that into how we are sort of spreading the word about Timely. Another thing that's really kind of useful to keep in the loop with the marketing team around, and if you have a, in particular, if you have a product marketing function or team within your company, is to make sure that the feedback that you're getting is from the right industries. So you're getting positive comments from industries that you're focusing on and kind of the grudges and gripes that people have are the people who aren't, the product isn't designed for. Figuring out where you're doing it right is a really great way for a marketing team to jump on and sort of market the crap out of what you've got going on. It's also good to figure out who your customers are in terms of, say for instance, your like sell, sell, sell to experienced users, uh, but actually all the people who are coming in and asking you questions are like total newbies to that particular area. And then you can potentially make decisions based on that and say, okay, we need to offer more onboarding. We need to help these customers a little more, do a little more handholding, maybe build some content uh, for these people because they are our actual customers, not the people that we've been aiming for. Yeah, that's a great point for recognizing where you might be making some assumptions about who your, who your customers are. I can think of a few situations where we've kind of made some assumptions or some guesses about what we think Timely does for, for businesses and for business owners. Seeing feedback come through that literally encapsulates that value proposition that we have is like such a rewarding and like satisfying experience to see it like echoed exactly in what your customers are saying. I kind of want to come back to collecting product feedback a little bit and one of the the most kind of like qualitative ways of doing this is through like customer conversations i know that you were part of a huge tagging project yeah. at moz and have you done it at gecko board as well yeah i have yeah you're like a tagging pro so i'm going to hear what you think are like the best practices or what's what's the best way to go around tagging and why it's useful i think it's it's useful to start with something structured even if it's not necessarily the right thing because Doing the wrong thing in a structured way will help you figure out what the right things are. For example, um, we at Gecko Board, tagging was the Wild West. People were creating tags, whatever. We had tags that meant the same thing. We had tags just appearing. And so we put in place a structure that includes a top-level tag. So everything gets a top-level tag, uh, no matter what it is. And then second level tags help us like zero in on what that customer actually needs so that our product team, our marketing team, um, Richard, who does our documentation can like check 
those secondary tags out and really understand what we need to change. But the top level tag is for us as a team, we can see like, oh, we're getting a lot of support requests, which is what we call things like, I need to reset my password and I haven't quite figured out how I'd like you to send me an invoice. I have a question about pricing. So things that aren't feature requests, aren't bugs, aren't integration requests, aren't the customer just being confused. They are like, I need something from the support team. And we can see like comparatively how many of each thing we deal with. So how many of our customers are confused because confused customers, we need to try and do something to fix that. Um, Customers with support requests, can we automate some of that process? Can we make documentation so that they don't have to contact us to get the answer that they need? Uh, Feature requests, obviously are helpful to keep track of, like what do people want? And bugs is a very important number to keep track of because more bugs are badder. That was terrible English, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> so anyway, I, I started at Gecko Board. It's a year in like two weeks' time, three weeks' what? time. Maybe. I know. It's gone by so fast. And so I started this pretty much as soon as I got there. I was like, I don't understand how you tag things. And people were like, well, I don't tag. Or, yeah, just make up some tags that seem appropriate. And so... I started this project then and we're now reevaluating it to see like, can we split some of these tags? Can we delete some of these tags? Is this the most appropriate information? Zeroing in on where it wasn't quite right the first time round, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if we hadn't done the underlying work in the first place. Yeah. I watched this um, Help Scout webinar, which was super great. And one of the things um, that they mentioned was this uh, rough tagging RUF which sounds exactly like kind of the top level tagging that you're doing. And I think if you haven't been tagging conversations or you're not entirely sure where to start, that framework is a really good place to start. And it seems like it might be something that will catch on from an industry perspective. So it would be great to see a kind of like a standardized model across different businesses so you can really get to the, the heart of what those conversations are about. And, and just to quickly clarify, the R stands for reliability. So that's kind of performance issues and bugs and where things are kind of going wrong. The U is for usability. The customer conversation is about something, a feature that exists, but it's difficult to use or the customer didn't know where to find it or they don't know how to use it, that kind of thing. Uh, And then the F is for functionality. So that's kind of like something that doesn't exist in the app as it is now. And it's kind of a feature request. I would add D for duplicate. We get a lot of tickets that are the same person asking the same question across different channels and so we have a duplicate tag so the one we're not going to answer we tag as duplicate and close just to help us keep track of how many duplicates are we actually getting our customers having trouble getting in touch with us or they don't necessarily know what's the best way to go about that Mm, that's a good point actually people contact us via different channels it kind of all feeds into help scouts so we kind of end up combining all of the conversations into one kind of like mega thread but also it's great for those situations where someone email in 10 minutes later and they're like i've solved it so you can just combine them and reply yeah that is good Uh, we are across intercom and zendesk so it's much harder to combine and we don't want to end up with things being duplicated because the same question has been asked. Or that awkward situation where two different people reply to, I mean, if it's the same, it's great. But if you reply to a slightly different message, that's just going to completely confuse the customer. Okay. I think maybe we should talk about like collecting all this stuff is great, um, but you're not doing anything with it. If you're not making sure that people are 
hearing this great feedback that you're collecting or understanding what it is that you're doing, it's a lot harder to be valued. No one knows. It's just a mystery. You're just over there, never taking breaks, working super hard. You could be doing anything. If you're not really sure that your team is being valued, if you're not sure that uh, you're collecting the right things, um, you should make sure you do something about it. So if you've talked to your manager about that, but nothing really seems to be happening, or your manager has talked to the upper level team, but nothing really seems to be happening, um, you might find that your concerns aren't necessarily being made known to the rest of the company and neither are your wins. Um, and that sort of means that the buck stops with your manager. So your team could be doing the greatest job, but no one else in the company knows. And they're not going to see like, I hate to use the term return on investment, um, mm. but I think it's the appropriate term here because when it comes to, for example, layoffs where they have mm. to decide where to get rid of people, they might look at the support team and go, well, the support team is costing us money and doesn't seem to be giving us much value. We can probably get rid of a couple of people there. So you need to be proving your worth. And uh, that can be kind of a delicate process, especially if you have to sidestep or um, like manage your manager to get that heard. Um, and the other thing I would say about that is you need to come up with solutions rather than just like saying, oh, this is a problem and then griping about it. And then the whole attitude in the team sours because you all know that you're not really being valued except by the like the person directly above you mm -hmm. um i'm not really sure i had a point i've just been kind of rambling um no but... that's great i think you know come come with solutions not problems i think is a great way to look at that sort of situation yeah um and find where you can be helping other teams even if you just go and talk to someone on another team and say like hey we want to make sure we're helping you out with the most important insights and like the thing I think is really interesting is one of our product leads when I first started this uh, tagging project was like, mm, I don't really see the value of tagging. Like, I don't really understand what we're going to get out of it. And then after it had been going for a while and we could point at some numbers and say like 38 people this week asked for this specific feature, it became obvious what the value was. But I needed to do that work to get like the way of communicating with that person uh, to help them understand the value. Yeah, it's a great point. I feel like in support, maybe I shouldn't speak for the entire <laughs> the entire team or industry, but I feel like I came to this role in like an altruistic manner. And that I was there to help the customer and to, uh, to manage their expectations and to help them get the outcomes that they want. And I wasn't thinking of the customer as a cost or, you know, how much we paid to acquire them or how much value they were to us. And I was, I very strongly thought that we should treat all customers kind of equally. Uh, so, you know, a customer, a customer with 10 staff in our industry should get the same amount of time and dedication that uh, someone with one staff member in a, in a industry that's nowhere near our target should get. That's all very well and good. If you're at earlier stage, if you're dealing with a smaller group of customers and you're, 
in an earlier stage of the business that doesn't scale and at some point you do have to prioritize customers based on their value i feel like i've gone off topic and that's not even what we're talking about no i i get it so you want to talk about the fact that you need to make sure that you're while doing the best you can for your customers also doing the best you can for your company and the other teams yeah using your yeah. time sensibly yeah that's a great point i mean at timely we have i'm not sure how you do it at gecko board but we have uh, we follow like an objective key results framework so kind of every quarter we uh, from the kind of top down we decide what the things are that we want to focus focus on and then each department will then have some some goals or some tasks that they want to complete within that quarter that directly impact that key objective or the you know what the what the business oh my gosh oh words what the business wants to achieve in that quarter and then kind of as you filter down while yours may seem super abstract when you look at the the full picture you can trace that line directly back to the company's goals being mindful of that and being mindful of what the rest of your company are working on and what they're trying to achieve is super useful connecting into what other what things are a priority for other team members what the goals are for that quarter and kind of thinking of ways in which you can make other people's jobs easier and how you can provide more value and help the company to reach those goals yeah so um we do the same thing. So for example, we recently revamped our developer documentation. Revamping our developer documentation will hopefully help more people to adopt the integration that you need to do some coding and development for, um, which will hopefully help us bring in more customers, uh, which will help us be successful as a company. Um, so it can be really useful to kind of look in and figure out how your work ties into everybody else's work. Mm -hmm. yeah um, and like the other thing i want to say is like in line with that you need to really like, shout about the value that you are bringing and your team are bringing um because you might be tying into the company goals but like i said people might not know exactly what you're doing so it can be really helpful to kind of uh reframe what the work that your um, team is doing. So one of the things I did recently was I put together a slide deck for our onboarding for new team members, um, where I introduced our team, I did some photos of us, um, I put an emoji crown on Luis, who is the, the CSVP, um, that's like a, yeah, that was terribly phrased. Um, but yeah, I put a little crown on him, I did um, a map and pointed to whereabouts each of the team uh, members work from and then I talked about like what is it the team actually does um, so we do proactive support and here are all the things that fall under that and we do reactive support and here are all the things that fall under that and then here's what we're working on this quarter and why it's important and I think it's been really useful to, to have that kind of meeting with new members so that they understand that what it is that the team does and some of the things um, that I think can make a difference, even though this is going to sound kind of dumb, is figuring out a great way to describe what you do to the rest of the team in terms of what you call your team. Um, what do you call your role? Um, 
So this can be something like Buffer recently did. What was it? They were customer champions and now they're advocates? I think they were happiness heroes. Oh, happiness heroes. Yeah. yeah. And now they're Which is kind of a advocates. nebulous term, right? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really explain what they do. Yeah. It's like I am a rock star ninja superhero um, as a role name that doesn't actually tell anyone what it is that I'm there to provide in like the overarching view. Um, and it's interesting how your attitude can change or your view can change um, when you do that. Um, so, for example, when I was at Moz, I moved from being a, I can't remember what my original title was, uh, but I got the word engineer in there. And I was so excited to put the word engineer in there because it meant that I could um, take slightly more complex tickets, do slightly more technical things. Um, and do a little bit more digging and understanding and that made me like super duper excited to take tickets that otherwise I would have been like oh this ticket's really hard um because you don't want your like you don't want your tickets to become boring you don't want to like think oh this is so tedious and all I do is answer these emails and everyone else is asking the same questions and all oh, um you want to make sure that you're looking at your role and finding the interesting things, finding the stuff that you love. Even if you are answering the same question over and over, like, can you make that better? Can you find a way that you don't have to answer that question by automating it somehow, helping customers not run into that bit of confusion? Like, there is always something you can do to make things better. Yeah, I also think it comes back to something that we touched on in the previous episode around like feeling proud and being able to kind of explain what your job is and and for people to understand your value from from that statement. Like at Timely, we kind of went through a few different iterations on our names. Like I think when I first joined the company, it was a customer support staff was the was the was the title, and then we kind of took a note from Help Scouts book and kind of rebranded ourselves as customer champions um, but then that we kind of realized that that wasn't really specific enough and didn't kind of demonstrate the kind of investigative exploration that happened as part of support so then they rebranded to customer support specialists I think now that I'm in the role that I'm in now as a product educator I feel like that kind of makes sense as well. I like having a title that really clearly defines what part I have to play uh, in the company externally when I'm talking to people and trying to explain what I do for a living, but also within the company, if you kind of get to a certain size uh, that there are people in the company that you don't really know that well. Like when I joined Timely, there were nine or 10 of us. Now there are like 60 of us. (laughs) There are people that don't know who I am or what I do or what my job looks like. So being able to have a title that you're proud of and that um, really explains what, why you're here and what you do, I think is um, hugely valuable. You were going to talk about how we might be the only person that a customer talks to at the company. And with that in mind, we can have a very powerful impact on how they see the company, how they think of us. Um, and really shape their experience. Um, If you give a great experience to a customer, you could convert them from thinking that your product is trash and terrible and not worth paying for to thinking your product is great and amazing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it can be really easy, especially if 
you know, you're getting the same kind of questions to treat those emails um, like transactions uh, that you're just interacting with the customer and, and you're answering a question. But it can be a really great opportunity to go beyond that and to build rapport with the customer to understand what their kind of goals are with their business, what they're trying to achieve with your product, um, to educate them on how the product works. And if they're requesting a feature that maybe isn't going to happen, and you know that, maybe take the opportunity to explain why and go into some depth as to why that feels like it's not a great fit for the company or other ways in which you might be able to address their concerns or help them achieve those outcomes. Or I've never identified myself as like a salesperson. And I've always kind of, <laughs> like when we went to trade shows and expos and I was on the, on the, I was going to say counter. No, I was on the counter. Yeah, no, I was on the stand, <laughs> kind of trying to trying to sell timely as people were wandering past. Uh, that I it took me a really long time to kind of find a way of talking about timely that I felt comfortable with. That didn't feel too like salesy to me. Thinking about conversations in a more salesy way, which may feel a little bit uncomfortable if you're like me and and kind of have a natural aversion to sales, but it can actually be another really great way to demonstrate the value of support because you have a great relationship with those customers. And as you said, Lisa, you have a lot of power over how they see the product and your company. I strongly believe that these kind of conversations should come from a place where you have a relationship with the customer and you're acting in their best interests. But this could be um, things like upselling another plan. So their business is growing. I'm going to you have two plans. So if I can see that there maybe their sales numbers are going up and that they aren't raising invoices, it might be time for them to move to our schedule and sell plan, which gives them way more insight into what their income is and it helps them to track how much money they're making and to report on it and to see which service products are performing well and how to record tax and stuff for tax rates. Or you might be discussing how their business works or kind of get more of an understanding into what they're trying to achieve and you realize that there might be a particular feature that would be of huge value to them. So you can demonstrate that feature and kind of increase their uptake. And I mean, it sounds really salesy, but yeah, and increase the feature uptake. So they're kind of like using more of the product. One of the things I really love to do is when you find a customer who's asked for a feature and you're currently building it is to say like, oh, we're working on this right now. I can give you early access, um, but like not everything might work. And the customer feels like they're getting this like sneak preview and being really valued. But actually, from our perspective, what that is, is a really great opportunity to figure out like what's working, what's not working um, before releasing it more widely. I think kind of developing a good relationship with a group of beta testers or kind of preview users, uh, people that uh, you understand how their business works, but are really engaged in making your product work for them. And they're prepared to kind of test stuff that breaks a little bit and that doesn't quite work and are really open and constructive with their feedback and kind of it's almost more like a partnership. So identifying those customers and feeding them back to your product team and and kind of maintaining those relationships is is really important. It's all very well to take note of all the numbers and everything you're doing and shout about what you're doing and but there are situations in which the company just does not value support and you're not going to get beyond that without kind of saying too much, Lisa. This was something that you were keen 
Yeah, this is something I have experienced, but also there was a really great talk by Kendall, I think, from Acuity Scheduling. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. About when to break up. Oh, and it's the same as any other relationship. If it has become toxic and it is harming you, and you wake up in the morning and all you can think is like, God, I really don't want to go to work today. I would rather break my leg than go to work. Then get out of there. Run. Run before yeah. your legs become broken. I think it's, it's easy. Like it's that, that whole thing about you put it in the pot and you heat the water up and slowly like boil where it's easy to let things slide. Um, and then slowly over time, the whole situation just becomes like really, really bad. And you keep thinking, well, it'll get better. Um, or eventually your thinking switches to, well, I can't get another job. Like, this is the only thing I'm good for. And I think you have to make that leap of faith at that point and just try and find something else. And support actually gives you lots of transferable skills. Um, there's skills with people, skills with writing, and lots of other things. I can't think of a list off the top of my head, but I did make a list when I was uh, leaving my previous job of what value I could bring. Um, so I know that support gives you lots of value. If you're fighting a losing battle, if you're hoping that your boss will someday change or your company culture will change, it can be hard work. And a lot of the time it only works if everyone is like on board with it if you can get everyone on board then maybe um, but according to Groove HQ um, 81% of culture change initiatives fail so if you can't change the culture you have to change yourself there's this great saying from the minimalists they're like you can't change the people around you but you can change the people around you <laughs> which sounds like you're not saying anything you're just like what if you can't change the company change the company you're working for is <laughs> a nice way of looking at that yeah, exactly. Um, what if you can change it? What if the only problem is you're just like, there's just too much to do and um, it's not that the culture has become toxic and they're forcing you to like rank up against one another, but they're only looking at CSAT and it's just impossible. How do you go about um, pushing for more staff or more resources to lessen the load so that you can do a great job and so can the rest of your team? That's a great question, and it's something that I've kind of struggled with. <laughs> I've made the mistake of pushing myself to the point of burnout to get everything done. Stay an extra half hour, start half an hour earlier. Before you know it, you're kind of working 10, 12, 13, 14 hour days just to get the work done. It's very easy to do in a remote situation. Obviously, it would be a little bit more noticeable that someone was doing that if you're in an office environment. If you are overextending yourself, if you're not showing your manager or the rest of your company where the problems are or how much you can actually realistically achieve a day, then nothing will change. They will just assume that you will be able to keep maintaining what you're doing. But if you finish your day when you're actually supposed to finish it and you get a whole bunch of call requests or emails that come in and people start making comments about how slow your customer support is or how they're not getting back to you, in time or their answers seem kind of clip and uninterested and very disengaged it's really uncomfortable to do we made a decision for me that when I was over here when I moved to the UK um, that I would only answer 
the emails in this time zone. And it's something that I worked in over here for two years in that role and I never really nailed, which meant that I was like absolutely exhausted and doing twice the amount of work that I needed to do. And I had to keep that up for two years instead of now demonstrating that we actually need someone to cover that spot of time between when the New Zealand team finishes and when the UK team starts. But if I was covering up that up that mess and closing the gap, there was no proof that that was an issue that needed to be fixed. I think the other thing is if you let the hurt show and at that point you get the pushback on, well, you're just not working hard enough or um, the problem is you and not mm. the amount of work and you're like, okay, but I started my day and there were 38 tickets and you expected me to take another 60 tickets the problem is not me then you need to get out of there yeah that is like a really great excuse for you to be like okay this company doesn't value me i'm leaving now because you can have all of those concerns and believe me you do like if you're swamped and you aren't unable to kind of leave the day at inbox zero i I still struggle with like feeling like i've failed or like i haven't done enough I, I feel like we've left this on a really depressing note. Is, is there anything you want to say before we finish this episode? Because we don't want to leave with like, run, run, run from support. Because I don't want people to run from support. I think support is great. I love what I do. Um, I love what I do so much that I'm like organizing events. And I'm thinking like, maybe I could write a book, even though I have no time in which to write a book. It's just maybe like, not now. <laughs> not now. Like for the future, maybe sometime. Support is not necessarily the problem. If you do all the things that we suggest um, and it's still not getting there, then look for somewhere that will be better for you, that does value support and will value you. I should also say that we have some homework, or I have some homework, which is that my next London Support Lab event is happening on May 16th. There are still some tickets left, although there were only three early bird tickets left last time I looked, so they might be gone by the time you listen to this. Come along, learn about support teams and management and hiring and all the things. Meet some other people who work in support. Come along, buy a ticket, help me fund the next event. But yeah, May 16th, you can find us online, which you can at supportbreakfast.com. And you can send us an email on hello at supportbreakfast.com or connect with us on Twitter at supportbrekkie. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes. Did we say that? Oh, it's Apple Podcasts now. Um, Google Play Music, many places. Uh, Yeah, I use one that's Pocket Casts, which is really great. I would recommend it if you're on Android. Uh, Just search for Support Breakfast. If you like the show and want to donate, uh, that would be amazing. Um, it helps us cover the cost of hosting, uh, administration costs, and the like. You can uh, send us comments at supportbreakfast.com/slash/donate. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.